Hi, welcome to 10 CDs for a Penny, the show where we talk about mild music magazines and culture and trends and stuff. In Jackson, Maine, with me this week is John Waller and my friend Pablo Bertucci, and we're going to be talking about Spin Magazine, October 2002, with the white stripes on the cover, and that whole garage, nouveau garage moment that was happening in 2002. And we're also going to be talking about Queens of the Stone Age, because Pab's a big fan, and I wanted to hear what he had to say. And don't worry, we're also going to be talking about 2002-era Coldplay, so stick around as we take a look at the moment that was October 2002. This Ryan Adams uh, gap ad at the very start of the magazine, and I Nelson. just felt like I don't know what Ryan Adams looks like. This is his pose in everything I've ever seen. His right. hair, look him looking down playing guitar. Like I, I couldn't tell you what that guy looks like if I yeah I don't think I could pick him out of a lineup I think this the is last him. I think the last <laughs> several photos I saw of him he had like scruffy hair a scruffy like unshaven and like big glasses sure and so I don't know if I could actually. Yeah. Like, identify him. He's like Lady Gaga to me. I have no idea what that person looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't see the movie starring the character Jackson Maine? Yes. Yes, I did, John. Thank you for being the hundredth person <laughs> to I reference. I think somebody <laughs> saw your name. Yeah. I wasn't, I, was like, I was not going to let you name. get away with mentioning Lady Gaga on the podcast <laughs> and not mention that yeah yeah that's true I, yeah that's, there's another thank you very much i want have. my i want my back end money bradley cooper <laughs> i'm gonna find you no you know i was thinking did you read the uh the opening letters N- no oh because there's a somebody talking very passionate be passionately about um the, a style of music called electro clash oh yeah okay. oh and yeah i was thinking sure. of that when you were talking about the, all these subgenres i was like and the person who's like super do passionate. i remember do i remember what electro clash is i don't even know i didn't even okay. know that i've heard oh i remember that term no, that was i remember that term. term you want me to read it out loud yeah go ahead and read the electro clash letter has anyone at spin heard of group of the group mindless self-indulgence your article about the brooklyn scene where's brooklyn at july completely overlooked one of the first bands to embrace the sound called Electro Clash. Also, what the hell is up with Le Tigre's name appearing in just one sentence? They're, pro- <laughs> <laughs> They're probably the biggest Electro Clash band out there right now. If it weren't for those bands, all the little store-bought bohemians would never have thought to jump on the musical bandwagon and gentrify Brooklyn like they're doing now. And to the girl in the WIT, try something original, because Debbie Harry did Debbie Harry a lot better than you. Wow, that is like a bingo card of like uh, just cranky hipster. <laughs> and this is, uh, you know, but this is what I think of when I think of subgenres and stuff. Like, yeah, you know, no, that's passion. that's perfect. <laughs> and and I mean, uh, just just from that letter, I mean, that could not be more like early hipster Brooklyn. This is before the word hipster uh, existed. This is practically before the word like Brooklyn existed in music. This is very early. Like Brooklyn, you could not shut up. Brooklyn in the 2000s was the Seattle of the 2000s. Like if I heard the word Brooklyn one more time (laughs) in my 20s, I was going to throw up. Uh, (laughs) Because again, yeah, started out, I there was so many great Brooklyn bands that I started getting into 
And then it just exploded, and then it was just only Brooklyn, and they were only promoting things from there, and then it was just bloated and stupid and cool, and there was like there was no substance. And yeah, of course, then you move on to something else. But yeah, Electric Lash. So Fisher Spooner is the only thing I just looked up that I can think of. That's the Electric Clash movement. Which well, is that guy that said time. that it was La Tigre, which I kind of makes sense from what that I remember sense, yeah. about like. The, what Electro Clash was. Like, uh, you mentioned Peaches before. Right. Which would have been later. I th- yeah. Oh, I know, same time. Yeah, but the same time. Maybe just a little bit after, like 2004. So, yeah, that's the opening. That's good. One of the opening. Yeah, this is this is one action. of the best things here. I don't even know how they're trying to do this. This is the... Uh, the ad for Jimmy Fallon's record. Oh, yeah. The bathroom wall. That. Oh, so look at that forlorn fellow look at, with his oh style. God, look hair. at that brooding man just like in the dark, kind of looking off in the distance. How many Tonight Show hosts uh-huh. have had a photo of themselves? Like Being he's got his telecaster and he's uh, standing against what a brick wall. He's and he's sure. like looking off, like he's looking yeah. off and down. It's, like, it's dark. Um, yeah, it's true. Like you think of uh, Johnny Carson probably has a, a banjo like comedy record. <laughs> You've got Jimmy Fallon. But I wanted to bring this up because if there's one review I can remember so clearly, it is Vice magazine reviewing this record. And this is like right when I kind of discovered Vice, I'd say, you know, early 2000s and started realizing that they're reviews just meant nothing and they were just cutting people up and just being assholes <laughs> and, Be- you, and before pitchfork we're doing it oh but they pitchfork were were being serious yet they were being like jerks about things vice was just fucking around like they were just doing whatever the hell they wanted and just oh, saying something was amazing maybe even though it wasn't or maybe it was and if something truly sucked there was no review and so Jimmy Fallon's record, someone reviewed it, and it just said, Jimmy Fallon's The Bathroom Wall should have been named Jimmy Fallon's shitty fucking record. <laughs> and I think that was the entire review. I think that was it. <laughs> just one sentence. That's funny because well, when he I did saw okay. that, when I saw, I know <laughs> yeah. he did all right. And then he ended up doing fine, didn't he? He had fever pitch in this record, and then he got The Tonight Show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This thing, um, too much of a too much of a good thing. Alert with the Osbournes. This doesn't really matter, but I I still think the Osbournes that show is one of the greatest reality shows ever made. <laughs> I mean, it that was kind such of such a phenomenon. Like at that time, yeah. it was like that really kicked off those reality shows. Like yeah, focused on people. I mean, they had Survivor and they had the yeah. Temptation Island type things happening, and then yeah, Survivor to just, was huge. And then really when they just started focusing on a person and just like making a reality show around them and making them a star. That was the Osbournes. That was so unlikely. How the hell, I have no idea, but how the hell did that come? How did they get Ozzy Osbourne to do that? I'm so surprised. I'm and assuming it was it's incredible. Sharon like it's her true. business acumen, like, yeah. okay, I'm going to put my husband in front of a camera. Sure, because he's and, hysterical yeah, unintentionally. <laughs> To just watch Ozzy Osbourne in track pants roaming yeah, around his exactly. house like he was he's completely those, lost. He's, but he's one of those guys that it's like, literally, you just watch him get up in the morning and it's compelling. He's yeah. just one of those people. <laughs> he just is. Yeah. He's eating breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> no, he can't figure out how to use his remote control. <laughs>
in the beginning, there's uh, a very short uh, profile on Bright Eyes. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. And I now I I never listened to Bright Eyes much. I wasn't you know big on it, but okay. Um, I was just reading it, and it this is how it ends. This little thing. And this is the spin writer saying, okay, accordingly, while Oberst describes Lifted, which uh, features creepy 50s era strings, dulcimers, and horns floating over raw acoustic pop, as his attempt to, quote, look at the brighter side of life, it's actually one of the more convincing cases anyone's made for the validity of young white male angst since Nevermind. Wow. Yeah, mm. I did. I did. <coughs> sorry. I did read that. That seems like a very dated statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine I'm trying to imagine a a music writer in 2019 trying to be like, but actually, bright eyes. <laughs> uh, young white male angst is good. Yeah. That's true. Man, yeah. But like just thinking about how dated that is, like would that yeah, that would never get said now. Like the poor young white kid from the Midwest. Let's all rally around him. <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but I, I mean, Bright Eyes. I mean, I don't even remember the band. But it's, it's kind of him and a band. It's kind of like Nine Inch Nails. It's like oh really? It, no, no, no. In the sense that like Trent Reznor is Nine Inch Nails. Oh, he is a band. He has people around him, but, but he's him. Not nothing like he, Connor Oberst is Bright Eyes. That's like his stage name slash. But, what, what's their sound like? That was uh, okay. Uh, oh, hold, want, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Pablo, try and guess what it sounds like from the photo of him. Emo. Close. It's like an acoustic emo. I thought. Sure, folky folk acoustic emo. No, yeah, I would I would say that yes, exactly. but like looks sad. But he is he was an emo poster boy. Yeah, that's I what mean I that's what yeah. like I mean emo was him for the two yeah. thousands. But he wasn't. Okay, but he wasn't to, like uh, punk. He wasn't like the punk okay. emo of like. Only yeah. Followed by emo. Yes. Okay. Like that's the thing. Yes, they were emo, but I, I didn't think they were. They were just a friggin' <laughs> band. But people would say they're emo. I'm like. Uh, what the fuck do you think emo is? I don't know. I don't know. I always, I always. It really got blurred in the 2000s. Dashboard confessional as like my sure. barometer for my emo barometer. Okay. You know? No, but see, what's interesting about that review is I do think it's hard to do angst after grunge exploded and then died. It would be difficult to do angst in a way that doesn't is interesting no. i don't know if he pulled it off i'm just saying i can see why the writer's thinking about that like who well, can do angst in a way that isn't um bad but after what's the fact what's you know what your I mean? what's your definition of angst in music are you are is your definition like Kurt Cobain? yeah <laughs> well all the 90s ba- like the 90s seattle bands like sure filled with angst but i mean that's angst as in like like hard edge angst and then there's this guy bright eyes who's angst yet melancholy angst or something yeah and then there's like emo that was like like, i have angst angst. but let's have a party (laughs) there's good angst and then there's sucky yeah (laughs) yeah i was gonna say about okay here's here's my quick little question are you guys elliot smith fans i mean i only really know a couple songs okay but amazing maybe this won't work then because i'm thinking not to say that Bright Eyes is as good as Elliot Smith, but I feel like he kind of 
picked up a little where he he just he continued down the road. That, yeah, I think that that's a was, better way of putting yeah. it. <laughs> he didn't like pick up where he left off no, or well, whatever, but he's like all of a sudden Elliot was gone and now there's this new kind of, you know, sad, you know, um <clears throat> He's he's almost like Daniel Johnston too. He's always like he's always doing these recordings where it just seems like the mic is like ten feet away from him in a room and he's playing and that's his little sound. <laughs> I don't know if that's valid. <laughs> there was this era, or sorry, not this era, but this moment. Yeah, right around now when every music mag had like these four people on it, uh, like listed. It's like. Either the White Stripes or the Vines or the Strokes or the Hives were on the cover. And then the other remaining three bands I just listed were also in this issue. <laughs> like they had this like four pack of these are the new garage bands. This is the new sound. Everybody check right. these guys out. That's true. I, I actually don't remember them as garage. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, do. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like this, that being the like this was pre emo. It's like, you know, emo got big. Probably like a year or so after this, everybody was saying emo this and emo that. Yeah. Before that, it was garage. Are you into garage? I'm listening to garage bands, <laughs> like the Vines. I'm like, they weren't really garage, but they were lumped into that category. I mean, the the garage sound is the White Stripes. Right. But yeah, the White Stripes on the cover. I remember when um, the single uh, Fell in Love with a Girl came out. Uh-huh. I swear to you, as soon as I heard it, I was convinced it was a cover of The Kinks. Wow. And I, didn't, I was so convinced that I didn't question it, and it wasn't until like five years later that I, I by random, I'm like, let me look that up again. Why do I think that? And right. then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, it's not a Kinks song. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, I don't know. I guess I was the only one. I, I don't remember anybody else saying it, but I just assumed it was a Kinks cover because the vocal delivery is pretty similar. But yeah. that was what was... You know why the term garage was used so much, right, and yeah. why why was such a big deal? Why these bands were such a big deal at the time? Because they were all kind of. When I say throwback, I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. I mean, um, like I remember the first time I heard The Strokes, and I heard Velvet Underground, oh, and I heard right, a, yeah. I heard a band, you know, kind of really mimicking the Velvet Underground for the first time in a long time. You know, I mean, this was, you know, they were. What what song specifically? Like, what song did you hear and go, like, this is um, the Velvet Underground? Like, um. Oh, crap. Just take your Modern time. Life? Modern Love? Modern. Yeah, this modern, this modern age. Ones. Modern Age. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, there's so many modern yeah, yeah. songs. Um, yeah. So the first time I heard that, like, the, you know, like it sure um it's kind of like the loaded record like the 1970 well not even that but even like white like uh white light white heat okay sure you know that same kind of like just pound like simple simple beat chord you know simple chords sure um but the point being is that it was like you know coming out of um you know, the post-alternative, post-grunge into new metal and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, there was a big major label guitar band that sounded like that. Uh-huh. And then you follow that up with White Stripes, right. who were like, you know, you thought they, you thought it was the Kinks. Yeah, yeah. And second, that was exactly, really but that was exactly kind of the point. 
I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. maybe Jack White didn't want to, he wouldn't have wanted to hear that, but he maybe would have taken it as a compliment. Uh, I think, I think maybe he would have taken it as a compliment. I think he would have like, I don't think getting compared to the, the sorry, Kinks, Kinks is think, ever, anyone's ever going to take offense to that, really. Oh, me personally, I just think it's amazing that you're able to, because it's very hard to pull off. Like, Well, yeah. To, to really do do justice to that band and to do it like well after, that's but why I, mean, I like them. It's also like going back to... It, it felt a lot of like taking rock back to its roots. Like, right. you know, yeah. White Stripes, it was very like Garage is basically just like kind of a hard blues, uh-huh. yeah. like a hard. Um, so, this whole issue is you over and over, they keep kind of repeating that. Point. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. where like at that point in time, like 2000, like by the time, by the year 2000, like all of that, all of that had just been sucked out of like. Rock of oh, popular right. rock. Yeah, yeah, I see right. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know what else is interesting too is like where the bands come from. So, like, sure, you get the White Stripes. They're from Detroit, and the way that the article kind of describes it, they they it they did feel like for for people like me, like they came out of nowhere in a way, and they right. come from a place that's sort of really removed from whatever else is going on. Queens of Stone Age are similar in the sense that. A little bit different, I guess, because there's Caius, but uh-huh. I do sort of associate Queens with like Arizona and where he comes from, and kind of like developing your own style in isolation, sure, from everything else. Good call. And same same thing with the Hives, because in the article they're kind of talking about what it's like to grow up in a small town in Sweden, uh-huh. which again it's like the least likely place you would expect another big band to come from. Sure. I don't know. It's pretty interesting to me. I think. I mean, if we want to just comment on that quickly, like that's probably one of the most, you know, um, interesting concepts in music is, yeah, isolation and anger. And I mean, (laughs) like, really, I mean, like you look at like Nirvana, they came out of this shitty town in in uh, in in the the Pacific Northwest where it's raining all the time and everybody's depressed and they just want to bash some shit out. (laughs) They were angry. Well, another thing, too, is that, you know, yeah. So a lot of the grunge stuff, Pacific Northwest, this era that we're talking about, we've got New York, we've got Detroit. Oh, yeah. Lincoln Park, Corn, mm-hmm. both from California. Yeah. Um, Lincoln Park are from Chicago. Oh, did Wikipedia lie no, to me? Isn't he? Am I wrong? I totally. Shinoda, okay, I Shinoda's thought they were California. from Chicago, but uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's the Smashing Pumpkins, Jackson. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Well, Wikipedia says California. Okay. You're so right. well, let's just go with Sorry. that. Sorry. And then uh, Limp Biscuit, Florida. Right. So, you know, there's that kind of this like southern sunny. Sure. You know, is, is there a different type of angst? I, okay. Well, when I think, you know, what's funny that I always think of California. It's still, even if there's angst and it's hard it's still sunny. Like, even if I no, think but that's of, what I'm saying. No, no but <laughs> sorry. My point, <laughs> my point was going to be that California, no matter what it is, it's, there's still like, like some fun to it. Even corn, that first record, right. that's, that's really hard, but it's got this hip hop edge to it. It's so groovy. There's still some like fun kind of groovy stuff on it. When I think of Florida, I think of like, just, Dirt bags, and that's yeah. limp biscuit. That is totally what I think of. Yeah, Dirt it's like if if if, yeah. like if, that's, if if I were to write a book, that's the title. Yeah, Dirt if Fred Disney. Durst hadn't like 
started Limp Biscuit or gotten into it, he would have been Florida man at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would have been a Florida man. He would man be working head. at a carnival. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned sort of that California vibe. Because you can almost say the same thing about pavement. Sure. Where there's like, you know, some melancholy to it, but it's also breezy, cool. It like, is. It's, I'm sad, but I'm having a good time. Yeah. Too. Oh, I never got that disorder. off of uh, of pavement. They just, they seem like happy stoners, in my opinion. Like, yeah, there's some melancholic stuff, but really it's pretty just like. But that's what just, I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it's kind of. Everything that comes out of California, the West Coast has some sort of like, just, I don't give a shit, stoner vibe. But also, I feel like California and even Florida during that time specifically, it was a hub of people getting signed a lot. It was getting sure. a lot of attention. So, like, especially California, I would say even New York, you're always going to get a certain amount of attention. But if you're like small town Sweden, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Or Detroit, uh-huh. um, especially like early 2000s. Detroit, I was going to say Detroit oh 90s. What a... Dump, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I can't believe it. Like, I mean, imagine just like a Detroit winner right. in the 90s. So That's you're, what you're going to be looking, bashing out good you're music. You're looking at a group of people that are just like, they have absolutely no hope of ever being seen or heard by the by a larger public and right. they accept it and they they're just they're in a sense cool with it and they're just like fine and they're like, we're just going to make music for ourselves. I think that's when music really gets special because then. Because then they stop caring about fitting in or whatever, and they make the music they want to make. Whereas if you're in California, it's like you're probably going to be trying to fit in in some way. Cause yeah, there's yeah. So much record label attention. Right. It's just such a different culture. Sure. So what do you think about the White Stripes from this record? I mean, this article is kind of their probably their I first really big like the feature article. And I remember first hearing about them off of a, and I wish I had this issue. Uh, just one of those little tiny bands to watch things in Rolling Stone it was probably the previous summer. Right. And it was just like, hey, check out these guys. And they looked cool. They looked really different than right. everything else that I was just looking at a picture of at that so time. True. That was very like Limp Biscuit era. Like, or we're just coming out of that era at that point, like 2001. But uh, I was like, these guys look gimmicky. Like, they've got this little look, but they right. look fun. They don't, they kind of look like, like a Devo kind of right. vibe. So I went out, and that was one of the only records I've ever bought, and a vinyl as well, where I just went in blind. So I just no have been that was white uh, blood cells. No, that was uh, Dude, you've got the self self titled nineteen ninety nine. That's some Jedi yeah. mind shit, right? Yeah, there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, patting yourself on the back. Yeah, here, like when uh, we I am. Well, yeah. Remember I, when we saw shame? Yeah, I was just. It, I remember asking you, like, you know, who are these guys? Oh, I don't know. I just saw some a video or something. Yeah, and the video, but in no way. This is just a band called Shame from the UK. The video in no way captures how absolutely phenomenal they are. Yeah. And then when I, I, it's in my top five shows I've ever seen live. Oh, really? I, in my opinion, wow. I was like, I could, I was, Shout it was out like to shame. Relig- yeah, it was like a religious experience. Every once in a while you see a band like that, it was like, no, I loved that show too. It was incredible. And, if, and I just thought, what the hell? How does Jackson know this? Because you, if you hear it, you would never a, know. Because I'm a the perceptive Jedi. genius, you know? The Jedi. But no, uh, yeah, so I mean, I, th- that story honestly was me living in Ottawa uh, that summer as a summer job, I had a ton of disposable money and was living on my own with no friends. And I was just going to the record store. <laughs> so I saw that vinyl and I picked it up right. and I was like, okay, I'll just grab these guys. They look cool. And to be honest, that first record didn't really grab me as much as the later. Um, ones? Yeah. The, this one, white blood cells was really good. Yeah. So this article, oh, you got the one before I got the uh, self-titled first one. Holy. Yeah. 
Wow, on I'm, vinyl. Yeah. Pretty good. That's a collection. I got to say, well, yeah, this, this is first pressing White Stripes wow, that I have in cool. my house. That's my retirement record right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was going to say is is um, the one thing about the spin issue is that because the White Stripes are on the cover and because I, I can kind of like, I still listen to them and I don't feel embarrassed, whereas yeah. some music of that era, you... It's so dated that you almost don't even identify with it anymore. Right. This doesn't. This issue doesn't feel like that. It feels kind of. It still has like a contemporary feel to it. Well, that's one of the things I find interesting about like rock and pop and music is that there's this um, constant pull between artists wanting to do something, and I understand this impulse. Artists wanting to do something new and do something like progressive and pushing the envelope forward. But at the same time, and that can pay incredible dividends. Yeah. But it can go, well, I don't even know if it'd be 50-50 or if it'd be more like 10% pull it off <laughs> and yeah. 90% yeah. end yeah. up I being dated. Right, exactly. But at the same time, especially with rock, sometimes doing something that's been done before, it, it's because it works. Yeah. So something right. like the White Stripes holds up because it was an established formula. Sure. And at some point... If you, you know, this is a, kind of be a cheesy thing to say, but if you literally rock, <laughs> like if you kick ass, this is Jack Black and rock. Yeah. if you, Feel. if if you write good songs, yeah, like no, and write yeah, good I, I melodies, totally then you don't need to necessarily push the envelope or do something new. Yeah, and I say that as a fan of bands, or I've been a fan, or I'm a fan of bands, where it's like, oh, that's new and interesting, but it doesn't really hold up. I mean, I'm not going right. to get into it, but there's yeah, lots yeah. of, there, so but there's hard. also lots it's of bands so and there are a lot of bands that I have listened to records that I've bought and owned where I'm like, this is really different and interesting. And within a few years I was like, what did that, what they sound wow. like? What, was, what a, songs where I can't yeah, pull out? That's songs. a really good point. I and I mean, I always believe that. Yeah. And I mean, you read in this rec, this, uh, this article about Jack White talking about, he was not listening to anything in the 90s like i I, right. I find that like hard to believe i mean now he's a little bit older he was 1975 so by the time he was 20 you know like he was he might just, have had his own ideas set ideas yeah like i mean he, he was already like 20 years old in 1995 kind of that would have been right at the moment of nirvana or like you know like that whole four years had happened and I find it hard to believe that as a teenager, that guy wasn't into that, but he just says he wasn't. And he was just listening to blues and stuff like that. And that's why he plays the way he does. It's possible well, if you, the reason I think it's somewhat believable or it's, it's believable is because if you grow up in a particular city or in a particular area, you know, like if it's popular where you're growing up, you might be into it. Well, sure, yeah. Like if it, the article, that's what the article makes it sound like. Like he's just doing what everybody else in his area was doing. And I mean, a little it, bit of a scene, and then he was part yeah. of it. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I was just gonna say, I, I thought I could make a point of this, but I don't know if I really can. Is that you? You talk about like a lot of guitarists, like people who are like super serious guitarists, and they're just listening. Like they they get past that pop you know, Nirvana things so fast and then they just want to keep going and keep going. Right. Like people like they want to discover people who are like virtuosos and keep going. I was gonna try to make this point, but I don't know if it's super valid with Jack White. I don't it doesn't really say in there exactly when he started playing guitar because he was a drummer first. He was playing drums a lot. Now I think he was probably playing everything as a little bit of a multi instrumentalist instrumentalist. Right. But 
yeah, I mean, I think if you're just getting super into guitar, then you're just like starting to go blues pretty fast and just <laughs> wanting to do that sort of thing and progress. Yeah. Well, he does say, I mean, we were talking about this, about like what preceded this, you know, so-called garage movement. And um, and when we're writing, when we're quoting this article, it's it's once again written by Chuck Klosterman. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, uh, Klosterman says everything talking about you know, the White Stripes music, everything is raw and unrehearsed and imperfect. And that's why it's so fucking good. Yeah. And then uh, Jack White, you know, there's a quote from him says, we have to go back. The last 20 years have been filled with digital technological crap that's taken the soul (laughs) out of music. The technological uh, metronome of the United States uh, is obsessed with progress. So now you have all these gearheads who want to lay down 3,000 tracks in their living room. That wasn't the point. And then Meg says, the point is being a live band. Yeah. And that's... You Especially know. 2002, that I remember that was in almost every magazine you would hear some some variation of that theme of like, oh, like music's changing, recording is changing, the way bands are being recorded is changing. And it's true, like a lot of like new metal bands kind of like were super polished in their production and like the way songs were being produced and what it sounded like was pretty different. In retrospect, it's true. I kind of appreciate it more now how different the White Stripes were to a lot of what was going on. At the time, I didn't even care. You know, I was just like, who cares? It's just guitar music. But looking yeah. back on it now, it's like, you know what? It, it is a, it's a respectable statement to say, like, we're going to deliberately sound pretty raw and um, minimal and kind of like, I don't know, like shitty. Well, I know I had <laughs> yeah, appreciation you know I mean? for it. And one reason, well one out of many reasons why new metal never did it for me was that it was polished and that like, I always had a bigger appreciation for stuff that sounded kind of, I don't like the term raw, but I always thought of it as kind of sloppy, but sloppy in a good way. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I always translated that. And to be frank, like I'm going to go back to our conversation about emo where, um, the first time I ever sort of encountered the term, I remember encountering the term emo was cap and jazz. Right. And that was 90. Well, I didn't hear them until 96, 97. Yeah, me I mean, too. they were, their album, I think was 95. Something like that. Yeah. So I, pro- I don't think I heard them until they'd like broken up. Right. But that was always, so I learned the term emo in a band that was like, super energetic to the point of almost sounding like they were going to fall apart. Right. And that was always emo to me. And that always appealed to me, appealed to me the idea of someone being so into this, what they were playing that maybe they weren't playing it perfectly just because the energy was like so big. So, um, and then that combined with like something like the strokes where it's like, you know, now, these days, I might not give the Strokes this much credit. There was probably more pretension there than I may have thought at the time. Right. But just the idea of being like, "Look, we're not. This isn't going to be super polished, but it's going to come through." Right. Because it's fun and the songs are good. Yeah. Which is another thing, like, um, like when I think of a band like Guided by Voices, uh-huh. where they have some hideously recorded albums, <laughs> borderline unlistenable, uh-huh. but the songs are so good that they come through it. Right. And I mean, I mean, this is the, you know, just listening to like the, or just looking at the history of popular music, like up from the fifties, you, you 
you go from like the 50s, like it's a very like, you know, Buddy Holly, Elvis. Then that obviously reaches into the Beatles, bands form. Then you get up into uh, like, yeah, like you get through the whole garage movement of the 60s, like that sort of thing. Then you get into the 70s, which is really overbloated. Then you have punk that kind of strips that down. But then the 80s is the the synth pop era and all that sort of stuff. Then that all that's metal and metal. You're right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So these big, these big, Don't forget really, metal. no, I mean, hair metal, hair metal specifically, no, I which mean is that, now is like a subgenre. I mean, that, that, that fits in perfectly with my point. You've got these big, like, uh, like digital productions and like tons of gear on stage and all synthesizers and metal, which is just like virtuoso rock, like really overdone. And then it all has to get stripped down by Kurt Cobain right. and then it goes down and then we go through the nineties and then we get back up to, yeah, uh, Limp Bizkit, Lincoln Park, like, Big overbloated bands, and then Oz gets stripped down again right. by the White Stripes. <laughs> it just every ten years, it yeah. just has to go up and get really overdone, and then it has to go back to basics. <laughs> right, yeah. Which is why I'm always like a little bit skeptical of whenever I'm, I feel like a magazine or a label is trying to like sell me a new genre. But I, but you know, the one thing about this issue is it did make me appreciate a, a, a little bit more, like why the distinctions are so important why they matter and especially a band like uh, the white stripes where it's like i think 10 other bands try to sound deliberately sloppy and you, they just sound bad yeah you know and then one out of a thousand will be like oh there's something special here i mean this is one of the greatest dynamics and i've had this conversation before like i see meg white pop up on like best drummer lists and i'm like let's be <laughs> honest yeah. but she but with this dynamic she is a stylish drummer and i and I like her drumming because I like it when people like don't have like they have no dynamics. Like they they sound like they've just picked something up without uh, an right. instrument up without ever hearing another piece of music and just started playing. And that's what I like about her and her style. It's incredibly simple. And obviously Jack White being he's a really good drummer. Um, he must have had his hands all over this sound too. I would assume. Right. But I don't know. I but know. I mean he he couldn't not have. But Meg just like it's it's just like a kick, yep. snare, kick, snare, that thing, and then Jack White just like painting all over it. Yep. And I was I was pissed off in the early 2000s when this um, Rolling Stone article came out. It was the 100 greatest guitarists they named, and they put him at like number 17. And this was like 2004. I was like, this guy's only been around two years. Like, how <laughs> could you put him that high on this list? Or maybe he was like 21 or something like that. But I look and Jack's a, he's a stylish friggin' guitarist. No, he's a, yeah, like he's, he's really good. That, he, those yeah, songs are really awesome. Good. In <laughs> retrospect, now, yeah, like when I look at the entire body of work, like you know, with the Rat Contours, and then was it Dead Weather? Yeah. There's he's there's drumming in Dead Weather. No, no, maybe the, I can't think of. I'm, I think that's not the Rat Contours. There was another. No, uh, I remember act. you're you're close. It's more like seventies rock. You're close on Dead Weather. What? There's Dead Weather, there's Raconteurs, there's just his solo. Are you thinking of another band? Maybe it's just his solo. Okay. Where it's more like almost 70s, and he really starts playing like almost like a 70s guitar player. Okay. And I was like, wow, like this guy's really good. But you know what's funny? Like, kind of going back to everybody sort of has to start somewhere and then change up. And like, you know, talk about something like Radiohead, for example, or whatever. Like they progressed and it it somehow worked for them. It doesn't work for everyone. Right. And everybody feels like maybe they have to change to stay relevant, or maybe they're just they've they're 
they get discovered at a point when like they've done this thing to death already and then their second record comes out and they're like, no, I was already done doing this. I want right. to move on. <laughs> yeah. But Jack White somehow... He just kept going. If you if there's one guy who just kept making right. the same just big guitar driven, it was two people in a band. It was just him yeah. as a front man. And he just kept doing that yeah. and it worked for like seven years. It was great. <laughs> I completely forgot about the early gimmick of them of marketing themselves as either brother and sister. Yeah, so that's exactly you? okay. So oh, that's okay. exactly what I was gonna bring up. Okay, no, I totally forgot about it. Because this is you know, 2002, it's a year after White Blood Cells. It's a like less than a year probably before uh, Elephant. It's like right they're on the rise. Oh, yeah. And this is the heart of the uh, <laughs> of the who are Meg and Jack. Yeah. And so there's a sidebar. There has to be a sidebar that uh, is addressing what the heck they are. And I don't know if there's any real good quotes here, but it's just... You know, like he asked them, uh, do you regret some of the things you've told the press, especially since those seem to be the main things everyone wants to ask you about? And, oh, here's a good one. Okay, so Jack's response to that, he says it pauses, and he goes, and now this is, as we said, 17, almost 17 years ago. <laughs> in the end, <laughs> in the end, 20 years from now, the only thing that matters about any band is if the music was good. Wow. And he's right. He's yeah. totally right. But you gotta have a little we gimmick, were, man. But we remember the brother sister thing. We do, but we. <laughs> no, I forgot it. Care. I totally forgot oh, it. And then when forget. I when I read it, that's when true. I read it, I'd forgotten I was as like, well. Oh yeah, there was like I remember like yeah. And I was I was a little bit when I was reading this article, I was like, okay, shut up about this brothers. Like who yeah. cares? I know. Well, the funny thing is, but it worked. You know, they they're very evasive. You ask them as a number of questions. And they're pretty evasive and they're pretty kind of laughing about it. Like at one point, you know, he says, uh, but why would uh, but, uh, why would people try to portray you as previously married? You know, and then Jack says, because America loves gossip. Everyone loves gossip. England loves gossip. Detroit <laughs> is the gossip capital of the country. And Meg laughs. But okay. I also took it like I never thought too much about it. I never really cared. Right. But too. I what it did. I remember at the time, and even looking back now, it's like what that whole thing did for me was just they were being a little uh, sneaky, a little yeah. uh, silly. Exactly. And out of bands, like it said to me that they didn't take themselves too seriously in a way. You know, because right. like, cause that was the other thing too where you come after um, a lot of, you come after an age where the biggest rock bands really wanted to be badasses and wanted to look tough. Right. Uh -huh. And like, now here's this, you know, this guy and this girl coming along being like, just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That's like, not quite bratty, not quite mysterious. Um, like subversive. Well, maybe a little, yeah, I guess it's kind of a subversive thing to be like, are we married? Are we brother right. and sister? Yeah, yeah. Who On knows? Are the... we cousins? We could be any of that. I guess we'll just never know. I right. know. Like it's, it's a, it's a bit of a pranksters. They're it like, is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah. pranksters. It is, it is a little gossipy thing. Like you just want to keep bringing that up. And like I, the, the one example that came to my mind, which is a horrible, horrible example is the two people in twilight, the Kirsten, 
whatever and Kristen Stewart. Yeah. And those Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Or they just kept saying they're a couple. They're not a couple. They're a couple. And they just dragged that out forever. Right. It's the exact but same thing just to keep them in the press. And like this, not well, that the white stripes needed that, but we, I remember this time they kept talking about that. This was three years into their career. It It was, they're still talking about it. And what they said in here still wasn't even true. I think they maybe just said in this article that they had gotten married and divorced. Well, that was the thing. Which still makes no no, sense to me how they got married in the sidebar. But that they wouldn't deny it. I thought I was like, that's so funny. But they like, they've even been proven that they're lying and they're like, but they won't come out and say it. But the funny thing (laughs) is, is that this article clarifies nothing because <laughs> they deny that right. they were married yes exactly yeah. so oh, i still don't know if they were ever married yeah i mean no, like, they were they later. were married but we okay. don't know at the end of this article that they weren't especially like, at that time. that's what i think is so because they were the married marketing. oh okay. i mean now it's 15 years later now no yeah no, now but, we know but, but we didn't so at the time about the marketing gimmick because it's not only that you like this it's not only that you like the song and you like the band or whatever it's immediately one of the first things you hear about them is you don't know whether they're brother and sister or they were married, and there's this weird incestuous thing. Sure. Your brain cannot not remember that. It'll just stick in your brain, and I'm like, when I was thinking about it now, I'm like, I really did not realize how much goes into like clever marketing, and I hate to say it, but I'm like, that is a really clever piece of marketing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Put them in red jumpsuits and say that they're brother and sister, or maybe they're married. Right, right exactly. And we can drag exactly. that up for years. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and we and did. Like, That's enough to get you in the press, to get you a little bit longer in the press, get uh-huh. you more people talking. It's just so, like, would it's you, the kind of thing I would normally hate, but looking back on it now, I'm like, fuck. Can I ask, <laughs> can I ask this? Looking at this issue... And talking about these guys, and they're the two-person band, and it was a bit gimmicky, but their songs were really good. Would you have predicted Jack White's career, that he's still going, he's still relevant, and people are still loving him? No, not me. Well, you know what? I, I mean, Later maybe, on, I'm, yes, maybe I'm giving, uh, giving myself too much credit, but I think I might have. Because he, even, like... When I think of, like, White Blood Cells, which is the album I know the best, I mean, I know a lot of like the other ones as well, yeah. but it's a type of songwriting that you can age into. Yeah. Like yeah. those are, that's right. a type that's of a songwriting of you can do until you're 60 or 70. Yeah. You know, because yeah, a lot of, right. a lot of other bands, you know, punk bands, metal bands, like w- there's a point at which if you're still doing it, people are like, eh. yeah. And it's youth. Yeah. But he was definitely writing. He was. They were definitely a type of music that um, was kind of timeless. Yeah, holds and up. and you, he could keep doing, and he basically has. So while I may be giving myself too much credit, I'd like to think if someone had asked me that at the time, I would have been like, "Yeah, I could see him doing this for." Well, I mean, that's I, actually and he was good no, enough. I, I mean, good. no, he was good. I could see the music holding up, but I, the thing I didn't think would happen is how Pat like he just does not stop like record yeah. label like. 10 years, 20 years on. Like he he's has still, branded himself incredibly well. Yeah. Until like later on. I think. But you know what? Like this type of band, well, not this type of band, but you know, I think bands work a lot harder than they get a lot of credit, than oh, they right. often get credit for. Uh-huh. And like, do we know how old they would have been here? Uh, they were, so this is 2002. They were late 20s. But I mean, they'd been a band for long enough that you know this was—they'd already had three albums out. Yeah, 
and who knows uh, supposedly <laughs> once again supposedly farmed on Bastille Day in 1997 yeah okay um, but <laughs> again like more they, marketing they even like his skill like his guitar skill like they sounded like a hard working band sure they came across like a hard working right. band yeah true. so and, and if you've got talent, and you're hardworking, and you're doing a style of music that uh, is can hold up. It like. does. It does age really well. You're right. I mean, there's there's stuff you get into that's you know maybe a little more momentary, but really we're looking at like something that's like blues, which is so timeless. I am not a blues fan, but many people are, and it ages really well. And yeah, I mean, I think maybe we felt kind of good about ourselves in our early twenties listening to this, see, like thinking we're we're listening to some more mature. It was it was mature music, yet it was marketed as like this pop, fun, youthful music too. It had kind of everything. I mean, I feel like I, I'm not going to give yeah. myself so much credit. I, I I never thought to myself I'm listening to mature music. No, I, it was just like so this, I didn't. This is I, awesome. I didn't this, think that, but but it was fun to dance to, and that <laughs> was the one thing. I mean, this is a whole. This other, was in the clubs, man. This was so yeah, much I know. fun. Yep. Um, well, it was funny because I remember. Well, it's kind of week to say i remembered it but they mentioned like the cover of jolene yeah and it was right. like that would like Before you dance to that you'd go out thing. you'd go out and djs would be like playing like their cover of uh jolene oh he also before it became a thing again yeah for like suburban white people yeah. oh and he uh, <laughs> uh pablo he, he i don't i don't know if you saw this but he calls out like the kinks village green preservation society oh really okay. yeah oh, okay. so he actually calls out the kinks at one point so there you go. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming he must have been really into because his vocal. Well, the full exactly the, the full quote so. is sort of like, and this is Jack. Well, we've never covered a song simply because it would be cool or because we'd uh, seem really yep. obscure for doing so. Certain circles of musicians will all get involved with the same record at the same time, and suddenly it will be cool to like Kinks's Village Green Preservation Society for a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so that's that's an interesting article. I definitely like Cl Chuck Klosterman's writing too. Yeah, like also. I, I, I don't even like. I don't even know what to say. Like, not to get too far down that rabbit hole, but like Chuck Klosterman's one of my favorite writers, and I mean he's had such an excellent career since then. And I mean this was my favorite magazine when I was you know in my early twenties, and yeah, reading Chuck Klosterman every month was just fantastic. Oh, it was every month. Well, I mean, he was—he became like an associate editor. He was a—he was a senior writer, then a, like an editor at the magazine. He was there for a couple of years. He was oh. always—he was doing every big, uh, big story and uh, yeah, he article. Does the like, article yeah, too. I'll confess, I didn't actually know that he had written for Spin. Oh yeah, for a while. That's where. And so as yeah. we're going through these issues, and like, as you said, like, there's another article in here. That's Chuck Klosterman, and we've done multiple yeah. issues, and I'm like, Chuck Klosterman again. And I, I was know. like, oh, I guess he was a, like a staff writer or an editor. I think I kind of really discovered him with uh, Killing Yourself to Live, or maybe I read uh, Fargo Rock City before that. But then I was like, oh, this is the guy that's always writing in spin. And I was like, I love <laughs> him. Like, his voice is so amazing. I didn't amazing. connect the dots. Yeah. I, 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 I had a friend... I had a friend uh, who was reading uh, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Pops, and I just saw the title, and I I remember immediately liking it. Like, whatever that is, it sounds cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, not connecting the dots that that's the same guy that's in Spin. I mean, I think he went from, like, the Fargo, like, city newspaper to Spin right, magazine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Okay, so we talked a bit about the garage stuff, because I think af after the uh, White Stripes article... Uh, there's just a short thing about like uh, Swedish bands. 
Yeah. So, you know, the hives and international noise conspiracy. And, yeah. Um, Sahara Hot Nights. And yeah. A couple of others. Sahara but Hot Nights. After that, <laughs> and now this is something that I just found fascinating, <laughs> is that, um, so, okay, White Stripes on the cover, they get the, uh, like, the first big feature. Yeah. And then after that is an article on Coldplay. <sighs> Yeah. Why oh, did yeah. you have to bring this up? John? No, but I only wanted to bring <laughs> so it up. Guys... I only wanted to bring it up because I find it kind of fascinating that this is still like there was remembering a point in time when like like a music mag would be like, well, the White Stripes are bigger than Coldplay. Yeah, no, absolutely. They weren't thinking that. Well, Unless they were. <laughs> no, but I, that's no, no, no. But <laughs> there that's it is. Cons- They're relegated, no, spin, relegated, man. Right, but that's Spin's way of saying like, we like the right white stripes better yeah. than Coldplay, and we're gonna sell you the white stripes because we don't give a shit about Coldplay. We don't like them, and we. That's but they put them in their issue. So they're because there they have, because they have to play the industry game. Like, okay, they're the I, biggest band going on right now. We got to do. I, that's, just, how I, that's how I picture the executive meeting meeting at Spin is like. Okay, well, we got to put. They're the biggest band right now. We got to. We got to. We can't not write about them. Ish. In, in, interesting perspective. That's my imagination. I'm thinking. Uh, can I mean, we can we look up 2002? To be Coldplay, fair, where are now, we? Is I, that a know, second record? I will we'll say it's this like right before. We'll say this. They don't put much effort into it. It's right. basically a two-page spread. Exactly. There's a big photo, and I think there's like yeah half a dozen paragraphs. I was gonna say two-page as in a giant photo and a little a blurb on them. Yeah, it doesn't rise much beyond. It's kind of like, just like yeah, well, so these I guys mean, are around too. You know, I may not ha- be as. Uh, um, well, I don't know if Pablo's view is cynical or not, but uh, or maybe it's just giving more <laughs> more uh, credit to spin. But oh, he's you know, it doesn't look like they put much effort in it, which maybe right. suggests that they felt obligated to cover Coldplay. Right. Here's the other thing I will say about this point in time: Coldplay weren't a Nickelback-esque hated band at this point. And that's the other thing, too, is that, because I was also going to make the point that this goes back to when they were just another band. Yes. You know, like, yeah, maybe, I mean, I didn't mind Yellow, but I could see how people might think it was annoying. And they were still kind of at that point of being a uh, kind of post-Radiohead, like post kind of high and dry. Right. Well... Yeah, I, I, think, I don't know. I call them well, Britpop, no, but well, that I sort mean, of like Brit alternative, I guess. Exactly. So Travis, was, that post like Travis. Travis yeah. Uh, who was going to be? Who was going to pick up the mantle that Radiohead had left behind with the bands? Sure, and I mean, well, also yeah, those guys just. I mean, they just. Uh, yeah, again, they were just another British band, and I think people are still kind of clamoring for some Britpop. I know I was. I really liked the Britpop era. So that came out, uh, that Coldplay record was 2000. And right. I remember. And it was huge. Yeah, it was big. And I mean, I didn't mind it. I wasn't really into it. Uh, I remember listening to it in its entirety once. I was like, <laughs> I was dating a girl and I was like hanging out at her house. She's like, I've got this new record. You know that band that plays that so song, Yellow? I <laughs> so I listened to it all one time. And I think that's the only time I listened to it. Okay. And I was yeah. like, yeah, this is fine. It's 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 background I music. I think that's. Like, I I remember really liking really liking Yellow, 
and then and liking the album and just kind of like being impressed with like the the completeness of the sound like it really felt like an album right like it just had their you could tell they had their own thing and then by the second album i was already sick of them yeah. i was already like these guys are too big and i don't like them enough to care yeah so now i'm just annoyed that they're everywhere i mean i don't even know like i mean past this i mean you literally look at this article they're past that parachutes record and it's they're literally still quoting the the name of the thing is look at the stars so like right. they're really That's, they're not even like on to well this is no this yet. is in promotion of this of the second album uh, yeah. of rush of uh, blood to the head which is an so awful awful album name at the I time agree. i totally agree i was like well, i was completely passive it was like there was no effort being made to be like uh, what about that coldplay band i was i was not doing that but i remember specifically like big posters on bus stands and my buddy mike just going what a horrible album name. there is there is one quote i want to read this is the writer um towards the end of the article well towards both the beginning and the end because it's so short uh <laughs> the paragraph just <laughs> To say that uh, Coldplay have something to prove with their sophomore album is a grievous understatement. The anticipation for, quote, the new Radiohead to deliver, quote, the new Benz has uh-huh. been terrifying. Ugh. No, and uh, here's Comparing another thing. Comparing these guys to Radiohead is just sacrilege. <laughs> but that's, you know what? <laughs> People, they were still looking Radiohead for, because especially that. since Radiohead had taken the swerve with uh, Kid A, that like That's they it. were desperately looking for the next exactly. for someone to to make carry another the, Benz. Yeah, I, I guess, but I mean, like how they must have been waiting a long time because the, <laughs> because the Benz was ninety five and they'd already done OK Computer, which was radically different. No, but that was the point. They spent <laughs> <Yeah. spin. laughs> like, when they, is it gonna happen again? I was like, you guys better move on. <laughs> like from nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> through all the way through 2002, at the very least, the Why music the press was looking for the sequel to the band. They're, they're literally they're looking for the sequel to Fake Plastic Trees. <laughs> and high, high and dry. Yeah, okay. high and dry. <laughs> no, and uh, one of the other things too is he says it in the in the article. Chris Martin says um, that he wants to write the greatest album of all time. Ugh. And and it's the, that that's the kind of statement that a lot of music magazines and music critics hate. Yeah. You know, the average it's fan the doesn't care if a I band hate. talks like that, but people in the industry they hate they generally hate when bands come out talking like that, especially if you sound like Coldplay. See, it's funny because I would have <laughs> See, it's you know funny. I mean? Well, hold on a second. Cuz like if Van, if Van Halen came along and said, "We want to write the greatest album of all time," You kind of be like, yeah, all right, it's Van Halen. Okay, except that I wanted, I was going to finish your sentence differently uh. because you were talking about like music writers hating that, and I would guess that music writers love it when bands say that because it makes your job easier. If a, as, oh. a, as a music writer, it probably makes your job easier if the band can self-aggrandize because then you could just be like, you oh, got, this band. You think- got an angle to write. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and you can be like. Because uh, you don't have to talk up the band if uh, the band's oh. got. It, it's probably easier to to write about a, a band that's got a massive ego than. Uh, <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. But but um, that's fine. But and I do agree with you. I'm just saying like. I mean, I, I agree with you that it's r- ridiculous for someone to say. <laughs> and I'm sure the writers <laughs> feel the same way in their heart of right, hearts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they're that's like. But I'm sure an interview is going. Yes. Yeah, yes. Exactly. That you're writing the greatest <laughs> album. Do go on. I know, but that's the exact same as yeah, 
rock and roll can save the world. Like, can this band save rock? Like, how many times? <laughs> well, exactly. That's the thing, too. And yeah. that's exactly their version yeah. of, like, I'm going to write the, you know... Certain, I feel like certain bands can pull that off of, like, we're going to do the best thing ever of all time. Certain bands can do it. It's very hard to pull off because there's you can do it with a certain amount of irony and attitude, and the music kind of has to reflect something, but it's pretty rare. And I feel like... Uh, Coldplay, their music is so earnest and gentle. It's a very weird juxtaposition of a guy being like writing really earnest, gentle music, and at the same time being like, "I'm gonna write the greatest songs of all." Well, time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird thing coming from him. Like when if something like if Bono says that, you're like, uh, "Sure, okay, yeah." <laughs> like Those just because get a lot of whatever. For it too. Just because like Bono's got the sort of swagger yeah, to yeah. sort of like even even if you don't love you too, which you know certainly you can argue there was a point in time. That you two, you're like, okay, they're writing the best albums ever or something. Were, yeah. You know, yeah. You, you could at least make the case of it. But the point being is that he had the personality and the swagger to back it up. Yeah. Sure. Whereas, like, when Chris Martin says that, you're like, what? I think what that's you? what it is. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> I think white that boy. a lot of writers, that's what they're doing. They yeah. just go, ah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so they only get a two-pager in this issue, which is funny, I think. I wonder, I assume... Somewhere along the way, Col- I mean, Coldplay were certainly on the cover of Rolling Stone. Were they on the cover of Spin? We'll have to look into that. Would they, would they maybe get a feature? I don't know. They I mean, must have. I must have at some point because at some point Spin would have to acquiesce to. Uh, yeah. Like well, apparently. Yeah, I mean, they they put a lot of. I mean, you go terrible artists and you on go cover, forward. So. You go forward a few years. Who else are they putting on the cover? Well, yeah, I mean, like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? I mean, like, there was very momentary people that like never really did anything. I mean, that can be said of any music magazine. Like, you make a prediction and maybe you're wrong. So, but so, so neither of you guys, so none of us ever bought a Coldplay record. No, I did not. Okay, all right. Case closed. <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age. Anyone? Pablo. Here, well, here's something I find interesting about Queens. So this is when I first heard about them, right? Because when Dave Grohl came, I didn't know about them before. Dave no, this this record, this this, this feature. Is the one, this is still their biggest album to date, which is Songs for the Deaf. But here's yeah, I would I agree. Found, I found interesting because Songs for the Deaf is actually the third part of uh, a trilogy that Hami had envisioned since his first Queen's album, which okay. I thought is very interesting that um, usually you don't hear of artists um, envisioning a three uh, a three album trajectory of what they want to do, usually they're only thinking about whatever album they're doing, and they don't really think too far uh-huh. past that point. And that's one thing I found interesting. The second thing I found interesting was he said he basically said we're not going to get away with making the kind of music we want on the first record. Mm-hmm. So we're going to build up to a point where I can finally uh, get away with doing whatever we want. Which I thought was interesting. Okay, where know. in this, where is this record in that trilogy? This is the third one. So the first. This one is the is third a, one. Yeah, yeah. So the oh. first one is Queens of the Stone Age. The second one is Rated R, and then Songs for the Deaf is the third. So Songs for the Deaf is actually, basically the the final part of what he'd always envisioned for himself, and uh, I thought it was interesting because for it basically means that what Josh Homme thinks is is in order to you cannot get away with doing whatever you want and build an audience. <laughs> okay. That's kind of what he's saying. He's basically saying you can't get away with it. You have to work your way up 
to finally get them to come around to what you're trying to do. And then once you do, you can win them over with more kind of like an experimental. I mean, I wouldn't call the songs for the deaf super experimental, but no. there's, there's greater diversity by the third record. Right. That means he's sort of saying like people just aren't ready for diversity right away. You kind of have to work your way up. What yeah. do you think? Do you think that I would never? The reason I pointed out is because I would never, in a million years, think like that. It just would never occur to me that people are not ready or they're ready. Like I don't know. I didn't think. I don't think of music in that way. And it's really interesting that a guy's like, "There's no way I can get away with this, so I'm gonna pace myself." Do you think that's just coming off where he came from in Caius? I mean, like, so I mean. Caius is a very different, unique band, in my opinion. Um, and so is Queens of the Stone Age, in my opinion. I think they're a very unique band. And is it just coming out of that sort of thing where Caius just seemed like super stoner rock, like jam, and they just like jammed and jammed and jammed and just like created music? It didn't seem maybe like songwriting. It seemed like just jamming and jamming and ideas and maybe that's where this like those this like kind of concept like the like jam not jam bands but uh-huh. people who create music like that like like i think caius did where it was just like kind of doing drugs for a week out in the desert and like just like creating right or whatever that concept like seems like it would uh it would apply to queens of the stone age and josh homie's like vision of like oh yeah we got to like build this up until like people are ready. Like, I don't think people were ever ready. I think they were a completely different band than everything else that was happening in that entire era. So Queens of the Stone Age was 98 up into songs for the death, which was, uh, 2002. Think of that era of music. What was happening? It was, it was limp biscuit. It was the strokes. It was like all of the, yeah, like all of this stuff. And they were like doing a completely different thing. So, I mean, were they, ever going to be ready i mean like i think he was just hoping maybe yes it will build until people are ready to hear this but it was always kind of on its own that to me is the for me the biggest theme of this um when i look back at like the 2000s and stuff yeah is like how much i underestimated how in a sense important that stuff is or how much it matters to people how much it becomes the difference between a band succeeding and failing like because again like I just heard Queens of Stone Age. I listened to White Stripes, and I didn't really care that much about the difference. To uh-huh. me, it always sounded like, well, it's just guitar music. Yeah. And then after that, you're just picking your poison. But sure. So what? But like looking back, how much thought went into for these bands? How much thought went into what they were doing in a way? And how much they, I don't know, like how much they cared about w- how people were going to receive them in a way. Right. But I that's that's a pretty unique thing. Like when they say that, though, if like they're if they were building towards something and they had this plan, I don't think a lot of bands have that plan. I don't think a lot of people have that plan, right? In general, <laughs> like <laughs> usually they're just getting so stoned. Yeah, it's like <laughs> just like you're just like you're creating something at the time, and we're gonna lay this down, and then yeah. you're creating something at the time, and you're gonna lay it down on a track. But like to have a foresight, that's pretty cool. I know. I thought it was interesting. So Pablo, you were you're a big Queens fan. And because uh, I I honestly haven't listened to them much, I the first didn't really get album back. though I I hate to be one of those people but I am one of those people, especially the first record the 1998 record I'm 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 obsessed with that record really okay yeah. okay so how do you guys feel 
because uh, I'm establishing you're a fan, Jackson. I'm, like, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, no... I'm a fair weather fan. Yeah, fair weather <laughs> fan. So how do you feel about uh, this quote from Dave Grohl? Oh, in God, this here we go. Let's hear Uh-oh. what Dave Grohl has to say. Wait, you don't like Dave <laughs> This is the best album I've ever played on. Uh, yeah. Refer- referring to Songs of the Deaf. I would say no. I think Dave is very good at marketing things. Yeah. No, 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 but I take that. No, but I honestly, I, I take your response interesting. So you're a big fan, but you would even say that that's that's hyperbole. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, come on. For me, I would just be like Nirvana. No way. I mean, I'm way more well, important band. Um, but like just, I'm saying, objectively, do you think it's a better album? Do you think like Nevermind or In Utero or even any better, of the Foo Fighters? For sure. Oh, like, interesting. To me, okay. no question. But with it's this, just, I could see, I could see him being sincere though, in the sense of like. At that point in his life, he hadn't played drums in a really long time, and I'm sure, sure. he was just like super psyched to play drums again. Well, you know? he did. He did play drums on the second Foo Fighters record and cut the other guy out. That, <laughs> <laughs> well, he also. I but mean, that's neither the, here nor yeah. there. I mean, the rest of the quote. Uh, you know, the rest of the quote is that you know, uh, for the last for the last forty years, you've had the Fab Four and the and Led Zeppelin and all these bands, or a specific group of people defined what the band's sound should be. The cool thing about Queens of the Stone Age is all the records have different combinations of musicians. Right. So I think you know. So I, like I mean, I can see his too. excitement about it coming from the fact that it's like a more interesting group of musicians. And when I say interesting, like. You know, I'm sure when door thing. Yeah. Like when you're in a band like as awesome as, you know, uh, know, I'm sure he loved being in Nirvana, but it is Chris. It's like him and Chris and Chris for like many, many years. Yeah. And as good as it is, like it's, you know, I'm sure you just get used to it. But I'm sure there was an excitement about like, you know, being with new musicians, just being like whoever is around. And Mark Lanigan was on this album as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this would have been kind of the start of that era of Dave Grohl playing on a million different things and doing different (laughs) projects. And this probably like really kicked it off. I mean, we've got two Nirvana records, maybe uh, we've got three Foo Fighter records at this point, I'd say. And then he's into this. So, I mean, Nirvana is, I mean, they, the, if we're just talking about like recording a record, that Nirvana record's pretty stripped down. That's a that's a com. It's a, a trio. Uh, they I don't know how yeah. long it took them to record that. Probably a couple weeks. Ner- never mind. Oh yeah. I mean they banged that out, and that was it was Kurt. I mean he wrote all the things. Right. I mean he was behind it, and then he made his own band, and he's been doing that. And then maybe it was truly really exciting to play on this record with, yeah, completely different guys, and just get to jump in on a project. And I think this record's way better than the Foo Fighters. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, yeah, but this, it's sort of interesting seeing how sometimes this idea of like, you know, I'll just play with anyone anywhere works and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Because Grohl toured this album, didn't he? He did, yeah. So he was actually in this band. Yeah, for he a was short in that band. Time. And then these guys all became very incestuous. It was like Queens of the Stone Age and Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters and Nine Inch Nails. They all became this kind of like they were all collaborating on a ton yeah. of stuff. And then that became like that whole era of like a ton of projects that they were all doing and Desert Sessions and yeah. Probot and like everything. It was like this kind of maybe was like the catalyst for it. Like this Queens of the Stone Age idea. It's like, let's just keep making stuff with new people. And Mark Lanigan's another guy who was like always popping yeah. up in yep. different bands on different projects. He's in the photo in this so, magazine. So, yeah, he's here. I have to tell this story quickly that 
I went to see Queens of the Stone Age, and I was working at Puma at the time. Where, and where did you? Go, where was the show? It was in Toronto at uh, the okay. Cool House. Oh, Cool House, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I was working at Puma, and my marketing director Sheila, uh, her main objective was getting bands in shoes. So she was constantly bringing in bands and making friends. And Queens of the Stone Age walked into the store to get shoes, and. I have never seen people more hungover in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> like just a career of like hangovers. And I sold Mark Lanigan underwear. <laughs> I was like, here's no some. Way. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, no, not sold gave. They were just like getting gifted stuff. And I tried to chat him up a little bit and said, yeah, hey man. Uh, yeah. Like you're playing tonight. How's the sound there? How do you like the sound? And he was kind of like, I don't know, man. He's like, I'm already, I'm always on stage. I don't know how it sounds. Kind of thing. <laughs> I was like, just trying to sound interesting. Just trying yeah. to chat this guy up. And he goes, are you coming tonight? I was like, uh, no man, your, your show's sold out. He's like, I'm in the band, dude. He's like, <laughs> how many people you want to bring? <laughs> and I was like, no I don't way. know. Like, can I bring two more friends? Yeah, that's fine. I'll put you on the list. What's your name? Put me on the list. Sweet. And I got in wow. and I got into the show. He left the tour the next day. No way. Yeah. He made it to Montreal, and then he was done. He was burnt the hell out. These guys, wow. I've never seen people so career drunks, like, hungover. Wow. They were fucked up. Is that <laughs> was, how was he the was show, done. Because Cool House it was, was awesome. a great, great I had that, a blast. Was that the show, was that the tour with uh, Trail of the Dead? Or before that? Ooh, no. I'm, I would have remembered that. No. Oh, It might have been right before that, then. This was... Because I know 2005, I don't, oh, oh, damn it. That was the same year. That was right around the same time, unless they played. Because I definitely, oh, I can't recall. I can't, I can't look at my ticket history right now, uh, my ticket book. What? But uh, it was around 2005. They, it was uh, them and Trail of Dead, and I went to that show. Okay. I'm going to do. Just, but it might have been just, 2004, because they were touring a lot, I assume. I can't believe I. I would have remembered them. Also, might have no. I I would have been there for the opener opener for that show. I remember. And it was more of well, it was more of a double bill as well. Oh, was it? Okay, no, it was not that. I don't think. No, two thousand two was. Uh, they did Lee's Palace because I remember Alex went to that show and Grohl was there. Yeah, that's that's Alex's claim to fame that yeah. he went to Lee's Palace and saw Dave Grohl playing with Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. Um, I got a claim to fame. I mean, I mean that's you can just see a... Grohl so many times. I mean, well, no, but you know what? In two thousand two, in two thousand two, yeah, in two thousand two, seeing oh. Dave Grohl at Lee's Palace is pretty cool. The Foo my Fighters brother, would have been playing the my arena. My brother saw the Foo Fighters the first time they came. I know he saw them. He saw them open for uh, Mike Watt. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and he's, he met. Yeah, that's when that's Dave amazing. Grohl was super skinny and like yeah, yeah, basically still looked like a teenager. Sure. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna do. I'm like gonna this. do. Uh, I like this. Okay, this is the Billboard 200. Who do you think is number one in the charts? Albums, October 5th, 2002. I'll run down uh, the list. I'm just gonna do five because nothing else here is very interesting. Number five, the Eminem Show. Eminem. Okay. okay. Number four, oh, yeah, we're getting into 2002 territory, friends. Nellyville, Nelly. <laughs> yeah, I with remember Nelly's how big like <laughs> only song. Like, how many songs did he have? I don't know. Ride with me. I think. Yeah, whatever. 
Oh yeah. And <laughs> here we go. Here. Yeah, yeah. This huh? is, <laughs> is that him? Yes, yes, it was, of course. No, it's getting hot in here. Oh yeah, hot in Come here. on, yeah, yeah, sing, yeah. sing it, Pap. No, I thought hit that hit that register. Different. I thought he was anticipating. Were <laughs> you just that. thought I was literally saying it was getting hot in your apartment? Yeah, her. it kind of is getting hot in her. Um, it? yeah. It's getting hot in her. Yeah, her. exactly. Yeah. It was a big album. Yeah, Band-Aid face here. Um, number three, the pride of Napanee, Ontario. Who's got I it? Mean? Avril Lavigne. Let go! Avril Lavigne. Oh, man. That's weird. I would have guessed that it wasn't that early, but I guess it was. Really? It feels late to me. I feel like 2002, she already did. <laughs> yeah, no, no. This was uh, this was the exact moment. That was it. This was, this was the Avril Lavigne, like, debut. And I oh, think debut. The, yeah, the previous year, or no, sorry, the, the following year, I moved to Toronto, and Avril Lavigne had spawned a gigantic army of girls who Look all alike. dressed exactly yeah. the same. And I was walking down Queen West, and I did this double take quickly, and I was like, and I, I rolled my eyes going, oh, great, here's the 50th Avril Lavigne clone. And it was actually Avril Lavigne. <laughs> <laughs> That is the funniest <laughs> thing. Uh, <laughs> Number two, Home by the Dixie Chicks. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah big. good for them. I didn't know it was that big. Oh, yeah. They were huge. Oh, wait, they were really huge. huge. They were huge. They were calling out Bush right around now, man. Well, yeah. It was, no, well, but this was before that. So this sure. was like they were like reaching the peak of their fame. Yeah. They were. Do you yeah, think that was, was like, so I guess, like, like peak or as like, you know, then there's the decline. Like they were they were really big late 90s, too. Like they had, no, I guess. Maybe they it had wasn't a very good run. Well, yeah, maybe when they're that was their that was their their summit. And number um, one. Okay. Oh, fuck. I, I can't even guess. Did Jay-Z have an album? Out? No. no, it's a it's a new metal band. Oh, Lord. OK. Big new oh, metal band. Big okay. new metal band. Corn, Limp Bizkit, well, Lincoln on. Park. No. None uh, of those three. None of those three. I thought those were the only three. <laughs> <laughs> wait. Oh, oh my God. I gotta get this. Don't tell me. Okay. Okay. okay wait. Uh, so it's not corn. It's not Limp Biscuit. It's not Lincoln Park. And they're new metal. I would consider them new metal. Now this is also what you consider 2002. Maybe a little post new metal. Oh, little. Well, they had. Okay. There was a review for Disturbed. You are correct, sir. No way. <laughs> oh, good call. Number one? Number one. Number oh, one Billboard. album in America. What was it? Uh, what was this? Did it, oh, what song was it? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what Disturbed is. So, okay. So, the, the Disturbed, <laughs> let's look up this review. Okay. Because it was a four out of ten. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the album was Believe. Yep. Number one in the charts, my friends. Believe. Oh. Yep. Believe. Yep. Uh, do you want me to go uh, ahead? Pablo, I mean. I just, I know, I just, for me, for posterity, I need to remember, like, okay. I need to know. The opening, well, the opening uh, line of the review is, these are troubled times for the new metal messiah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that I means. don't need to hear anymore. <laughs> There's a song called uh, Prayer. <laughs> uh, darkness. Oh, let me guess. Okay, these are the song titles. Prayer, Darkness, Breathe. Uh-huh. Yeah, those are pretty. See, uh, I'm sure I know one of these, but. I never once paid attention yeah, to Disturbed I don't remember at any of these all. Songs. It's so and weird. I know they've had huge songs, but I remember Stupefy. I remember that song was like nope. the You don't remember? No. You're like I'm just not going to I have no it. idea. I know they did a big cover of something that everybody loves and that's it. Oh, this Sound is kind of fascinating. So I don't know anything about Disturbed. Uh but 
It says, interesting, uh, the band seems to have made a curious decision to remodel itself as the new metal creed. Yeah, that makes <laughs> And then apparently, oh, that makes sense. and then it quotes the band as saying, because I get, I mentioned they had a song called Prayer. Uh -huh. It's like, this is the way I pray. And, um, oh, quoting yeah, the lyrics. I remember that song. Uh, yeah, it says, who, <laughs> and it says, uh, instructs uh, uh, Draymond. The, one of the band members, I guess, I guess the singer. singer. The it singer. says, in parentheses, it says, who was raised an Orthodox Jew yeah. and has made religious confusion an essential part of his band's aesthetic. All right. Yeah, that's what makes him a little different. Liberate your mind, you motherfucker. I don't know. Oh, you gotta God. liberate your mind, bro. <laughs> Dude, why are you liberating your mind? <laughs> but we're disturbed. So they were number one. Like I forget how big they but were. But would this have been... Would this have been like, this is in the stained puddle would, of no, mud that, era? But, but would have Disturbed have been number one ever again or ever before, or was this like Disturbed's moment? Oh, I gotta uh, assume it's their moment because New Metal didn't have because like, I don't a remember them. No, we, we didn't remember right? them until we saw them in there. I mean, I was so Slipknot would have been so my next guess. In. If you asked me to name New Metal bands, it would have been right. Corn, yeah, exactly. Limp Bizkit, Lincoln Park. Uh, Slipknot, I would have gone oh, to. Yeah, don't forget right. about Cold Chamber. I don't know. That. I, I forget <laughs> about Cold Chamber. <laughs> How dare you forget? Crazy about Town. Oh, they are they even new metal? What I don't the know. fuck are they? Worst band. <laughs> yeah. Their whole their whole song is just a a Chili Peppers sample. That's their song. They're in a video playing guitars. Like it. you're not playing anything. <laughs> It was so like that era, man. <laughs> Two thousand two, little weird. Like yeah. it was actually that's one Post thing. New you don't metal. really get that feeling in this magazine, this issue. But like, I know I always remember it as a super splintered time. Like it was just so. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know. like we're focused on an issue. Like, I mean, there's obviously tons of different issues, but yeah. you'll see, like you'll you'll go through these issues, and like there'll be there'll be talk about that, like post new metal stained yeah. thing. They'll be talking about. Blake Ready 2 and Sum 41 and like that whole thing. Anyways, I think we've talked about October 2002 all we possibly can. Goodbye.